Hi, I'm Lisa Morton, founder of Roland Dransfield PR. Welcome to We Built This City. With this podcast, I wanted to shine a light on the people who have put the heart into modern Manchester. You can build a city with bricks and mortar, but it's the people that make Manchester great. 2020 marks 24 years since I set up Roland Dransfield PR. And in this 24th episode, I wanted to celebrate stories from previous interviews through the filter of one of the values from our Roland Dransfield way. So the Roland Dransfield way is a list of 15 values by which my team and I live and work. And these incorporate all of the traits we believe are essential to run a company focused on people and purposeful relationships. You can see the full list on our website, but in this episode, I'll be focusing on our 15th value, plant trees you'll never see. This means doing the work now to create a better future for those who'll come after you, leaving a legacy that will allow people and places to thrive. Plant trees you'll never see is something my Salford nan used to talk to me about, and it's always been very important to me. It was also my mind when I decided to launch We Built This City podcast. I wanted to create a record of Mancunian's love for the city, while celebrating the work that so many individuals do to make it a better place for generations to come. This is something I believe is in the makeup of most Manx. We know where we've come from and we're always striving to make our city greater still. And this week I wanted to celebrate the people and values that have supported Roland Dransfield over the past 24 years from the interviews I've done so far and we built the city. You'll hear a collection of some of my previous guests reflecting on the people and work that made it possible for them to get where they are and share the work they're doing to make Manchester an amazing city for future generations. At Roland Dransfield, we believe it's important to contribute much more than just what's in front of us every day. We always look at whether what we're doing will have a positive and long-term benefit for our community, our clients, our city region and the world. We increasingly find that we attract businesses and individuals who have similar social consciences and who want to get on but give back. So why is creating legacy so important to Manchester? And what would happen if people didn't give back to the city? When my guest Tom Hetherington set up the Manchester Art Fair in Manchester, he did it because of one thing. He wanted people to find art here, stay here and build here. I've always believed you go to London to make money, you stay in Manchester to make a difference. Because Manchester, although it's a big city and it's possible to achieve big things, it still feels small enough that you can actually genuinely affect it. And the art fair is probably a perfect example of that. Whereas if I did an art fair in London, I'd probably make more money out of it and I could run an art fair there for 20 years and sell the loads of art and then I could close it. And it would leave probably not a ripple. It wouldn't really have fundamentally changed anything. But by doing the art fair in Manchester, which, you know, Lord knows has been a much harder challenge, we have fundamentally changed the city. And we've impacted on so many different areas of the city and relationships within it and dynamics within it. And I just find that more gratifying. And I think a lot of people head to London and they give up a lot to be there. You know, Mm. it costs a lot. It affects your quality of life. Everything in this mistaken belief that you can only make it in London and the Sutton research actually showed that more people achieve more and show more social mobility in a bigger city or town close to where they where they grew up and really cities like Manchester should be getting a hold of that and saying to young talent and you know ambitious people and the next generation you can do it here you can do more here and probably have a better balance of life we need to retain our talent and I think we need to bang the drum for Manchester on that score. 
There have been many Mancunians whose actions have changed not only how we run the city, but who have influenced the whole world. Musician Clint Boone summed it up to me so well. Look at Manchester, look at all the amazing things it's done. You know, the suffragettes didn't do what they did for them, it was for the next generation, the generation after, and, you know, it's making the world better for the next chapter, really. And you might not be around for that, but it's let's make things better while we're here. And that's one of my big go-to phrases is like make your little bit of the world a bit better you know what I mean make your corner of the world better than it was when you arrived here and I think if everybody did that the world would be magnificent what do you think the best thing is to come out of Manchester I'd have to say and, and it's not a thing but all the great social movements that have been spawned within the city and there, there are a lot of those but I am going to pick one which is women's emancipation because it's impacted on 50% of the population. So, well, actually impacted on 100% of the population, but 50% in particular. But uh, but all of those, the, the great social movements around our working class history, the trade union movement, free trade, a whole range of stuff that I think is a city we have spawned and have continued to uh, spawn over the uh, centuries. That was leader of Manchester City Council, Sir Richard Lees, talking about Manchester's legacy to the world. Greater Manchester has a population of nearly 3 million people, so it's easy to wonder why you, as one person, could plant a tree and make a difference. So what are the issues that drive the changemakers in Manchester? Barbara Jed King, boxer Stacey Copeland and Tom Hetherington explain the places that they felt seeds needed to be sown. Yeah, I worked for so long to get here and now I'm here. It's, it's, it doesn't feel like I wanted it. I, I expected it to. So that's when I really started to look in, and I really went deep. <laughs> you know, I took myself off to the Lake District, and, and and I meditated, and I thought, you know, what is this all about? And, and you know, pulled myself apart in many ways. And and what I got, I had several moments of clarity, and one of them was, it was deeply upsetting for me to walk around our city. It was just getting so bad in Manchester. And it was it was just getting to the point. It was a 2000, 2014, so it was it was just getting to the point where people couldn't people couldn't um, ignore it anymore. It was so clear, you know. There's somebody on every corner. So I decided I was going to do something about that. And all I, all I knew how to do then was cut hair. We didn't go straight onto the streets. I, I offered our services in the shop for free. If you're homeless and you come into the shop, you can offer you can, you can access our services for free. And you know, hopefully that we can we can chat and 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 direct you. You know, that was the basic plan. Also, if you're unemployed and you've got a job interview, you're trying to help yourself, you can do the same and access our services for free, a free product, and good luck with your job. Yeah. And I'm proud to say we've got loyal clients now who took advantage of that offer, and now they're in work and they keep coming back to us, so that's amazing. And one of the reasons why so many female athletes are very approachable is because we're all so aware um, that these opportunities were denied to us, either in our own lifetimes or we're only able to do the things we do now because of those who came before us. For example, the likes of me who boxing and football wasn't possible as a little girl. So I want to encourage as many little girls as I can to, to get involved because it just wasn't there for, for me. But I think in terms of concrete things of literally standing on the shoulders of those who came before us, one example would be Title Nine. And now this happened in 1972 where both men and women campaigned for institutions in America to divide funding equally for sport in colleges because prior to that it all went to men's sports and women didn't get to really compete at all and after that that meant that colleges had to provide equal opportunities for women's sport I obviously was a recipient of that 
some 40 years later when I went over to America on a scholarship. That would not have been possible had those people not fought for Title IX. I don't know any of those people personally who fought for that and they don't know me, but I'm grateful to them and I, I made the very most of that opportunity because I was grateful to them giving it me and I hope they know that all of us are grateful who've been you know, able to be beneficiaries of, of the, the, the work that they did. And some of them won't have even benefited from it themselves, certainly not, but they did it because they knew it was right and they wanted people to have better opportunities. We look at now what difference that has made that over the last three Olympics, the female USA athletes have won more medals than the males. That would not have happened without the opportunities in college sport. But also people like Jane Couch, who fought for the right uh, for women to box in this country. And that was because of Sarah Leslie and Dinah Rose, the, the two QCs and the solicitor who fought the case for Jane Couch to fight. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. And that happened in my lifetime. I was 17 when that court case happened, you know, and now I've been able to represent my country and, you know, standing on that podium at the European Championships, watching my country's flag be raised with a medal around my neck was phenomenal. Planting a tree by which others can, you know, can benefit is huge. And that's what I'm trying to do now. And I might not know the people who benefit and they might not know me, but that doesn't matter. They all said there's no galleries in Manchester because no one buys art. And I said, no, no one buys art because there's no galleries. I think we felt there was an opportunity to, to make it more democratic and egalitarian, to, to make art accessible without making accessible art. It wasn't about dumbing down. It was just about taking a very Mancunian attitude to putting it in a really straightforward, unpretentious environment and letting people appreciate the art for what it is. But the art world didn't initially see it that way. It took a good couple of years for us really to get our head around it. But we did, and, and we stuck at it. We've certainly got a national profile now. We're actually one of the biggest um, art fairs in the whole of the UK, but more and more now we're starting to attract international galleries mm -hmm. as well, which is absolutely fantastic and so good for the city and the city's reputation. We've sold now, I think, nearly £5 million worth of art in the, in the duration of the, the fair into a city that everyone said no one's going to buy art, and we've proved them wrong and in a Mancunian way. I, I love that. I actually got involved in local politics from around about 2005 when I was living in the city centre and I found myself complaining about things like the state of the canal, uh, bins overflowing, uh, people parking in cycle lanes, you know, the things that sort of annoy you and wind you up on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and I was contacting the council regularly with, with my little sort of bug binds and I thought, you know what, if rather than moan about it, do something about it yourself. So that was why I got involved with the, with the local Labour Party. That was former Manchester Lord Mayor Carl Austin Bayern telling me why he wanted to get involved with Manchester politics. Although we come from the birthplace of the computer and the suffrage movement, there are still many people in the city who want to see certain injustices and social issues solved. So how do you begin to create change on your own and how can just one mank make a lasting difference? Carl tells us about his work supporting the ever-growing LGBTQ plus community in his role as advisor to Andy Burnham. You know, we look at how different things can change. And being Mr. Gay UK in 2001, I walked up Deansgate in a pride parade 15 years ago, um, just wearing a pair of hot pants and a sash. To 15 years later, as Lord Mayor of Manchester, being the first citizen, walking that same route as the Lord Mayor. And I think that just goes to show that, you know, you can be anything. You can, you know, just believe in yourself and just, just keep trying things. And I think it's that thing I've always... If someone sows a seed, let it grow. There are some issues that can feel bigger than all of us and so hard to make an impact on. For social entrepreneur Corinne Bell, 
Tackling the issue of food waste has become her driver. She set up Conscious Catering Business, Open Kitchen Manchester, and was in full swing before lockdown. But Corinne has shown the importance of sticking to your values, even in times of crisis. I mean, it was devastating. I was, there was a point at which I was kind of staring down the barrel of, I've spent six years of my life building this, and, and is that it? Is this going to be the mm. thing that ends us? But I think what got us through actually was we got back to the mission and and kind of forgot about the business because it's a global pandemic. It's completely beyond our control. And there was nothing we could do about the fact that the hospitality sector just ended and the number of people that needed our help went through the roof. So the team just kind of sat down and we had a bit of a chat and just said, well, there's loads of people out there that need our help. We've got a kitchen, we've got chefs and, and we've got loads of food. So what are we going to do? bless them, no one even blinked. The entire team just said, well, we'll, you know, we'll feed people, won't we? In the face of something as huge and as unprecedented, I'm going to use it, um, <laughs> as a global pandemic, I think sometimes it can be very settling to just do something really practical and do something really local. Because yeah. you, if you do something really practical and you do something really local, like feed someone who lives two miles from you, a meal, and just know that that happened today. There's something just really psychologically settling about that. I think sometimes it can be really helpful to just bring your focus. It's a weird version of mindfulness. And it's, yeah, it seems to have been helpful to a lot of people. No matter how well you're doing and no matter what you're achieving, everything that we do is utterly ordinary. Everything that we do is really faulted and and really flawed and not perfect and that that's really, really okay. And that in whatever we do and whatever we achieve, you know, we are one tiny little part of a much bigger picture. With the charity stuff, I've always done it because I've always thought, you know, I get paid quite well for some of the work I do, you know, especially as a club DJ. You get Sometimes you look at what they're giving you at the end and you think, all I've done is press play for two hours, shout Boon Army every five minutes. <laughs> And they are giving me whatever. And it's like, so I, because I get rewarded nicely for some of the work I do, I've always been happy to spend a lot of my time doing some charity stuff as well. So I do a lot of fundraising. You know, if I've got a couple of hours in my day that I'm not needed here or not needed there, and if somebody needs me to go and talk to a load of students at BIM, I'll do it. You know, it's like I've got a bit of time there. And if I've got the option of sitting watching Loose Women on telly, I'll go and talking to a load of kids. Do. I'll, go and, I'll go and talk to kids about where life can go if you... Yeah step off that little cliff sometimes. It's a bit scary to do some of the things that I've done over the years, but I've seen the benefits of it. So I, I spend a lot of time telling young people to follow the soul, follow your desire. Don't always do what the man tells you to do. That was Clint Boone talking about sharing his life experience to guide the next generation of creatives in Manchester. We can't talk about creating change for the city's next generation without hearing from our Mayor Andy Burnham. He's only been in post for three years, but Andy has done incredible work for our city's homeless and young people, and he tells us what legacy he wants to leave Manchester. Well, obviously on homelessness, I, I want there to be no need for anyone to sleep rough, and that would be something quite big if we could uh, make that happen. But more than that, I, I guess if I could just uh, say something about the future of the city and, and its young people, because... I'm always struck by the level of talent. See, I always remember graduating in 1991. I, I luckily got to do English at, at Cambridge, but I didn't want to live down south. And I came back and I searched and searched and searched for a job in the media in Manchester. As I think I said before, became a, a reporter, unpaid, 
on the Middleton Guardian. And in the end, I, I gave up and went to London because I couldn't find anything else. So now I look at Manchester today and I look at the skyscrapers and I look at Media City and I look at the Etihad and everything around it that's taking shape. And I just look at all of it and I think, you know what? Young people now may not have to leave this place to, to have the highest ambitions in, in life, but we did have to do that. But when I also look at it and I look at the, the skyscrapers and I, and I think of kids growing up in Openshaw or Harper Hay or, you know, Moston or somewhere, they probably look at them and think, well, that's not that world is not for me. And I think if I've got a kind of a legacy to leave, it's about saying you can have the highest ambitions in this city and you, you can walk into those buildings and those places and you can achieve whatever you want to achieve in life. That, I think, is not yet where we are, I don't think, if I'm honest. You know, that that talent that we have on our own young people still is sort of not empowered. And, and that's why I've created this system in Greater Manchester called GMAX, which is all about connecting every young person in Greater Manchester to opportunity and then making that open application and, you know, and supporting them properly with the free bus travel to get to those opportunities. See, this is what I'm trying to build, really, you know, a system that kind of completely opens up opportunity to people, whatever their background. And it's a really long answer, Lisa, but it's actually, if, if you strip everything back, it's what I'm passionate about. Social entrepreneur Rose Marley is also passionate about the young people of our city and is creating a legacy with her work as CEO of Sharp Futures and as Andy Burnham's lead for RPAS. Once the Sharp project was up and running, how can we make sure it's meaningful to the people that live around it and buy it and in the whole of Greater Manchester? It's in Newton Heath, you know, it needs, needs to have Newton Heath and Harper Hay kids running the desk, which it does. So Sharp Futures uh, was born out of that and we developed a system called Pod People on Demand because one of the things with the creative industries in particular is it's very based around freelance working and that's where your big social mobility problem comes because you know, the general uh, working class kid like me wouldn't have a cushion of somewhere to live and somewhere to stay in between work. And we talk a lot now about the gig economy, but that comes out of the creative industries. You know, you're as good as your last gig. You get a gig, you might be editing on something for six weeks and then get a three month job and then another job. And so by default, people who are more affluent tended to work in those industries because it's really hard to sustain these sort of patchy offers if you haven't got money otherwise. So part people on demand is like freelancing, but on payroll, because um, that's the other barrier, you know, to say to an 18-year-old from Moston, yeah, you can work in uh, TV. What you need to do is get yourself a lawyer, an accountant, and, uh, you know, it's just not that achievable. So with Pod, the young people are on payroll. We look after the credit control, the holiday pay, and get them all the gigs. But they can do loads of other work in between. They can be full-time, they can be apprentices, and it allows them to build up paid work experience in what they want to do, which can be television, running, social media, graphic design, um, all sorts of opportunities in creative digital. My guest Gary Neville and his team were one of the first businesses to offer their support to our community immediately that we went into lockdown. They opened their hotels, hotel football and stock exchange to provide safe accommodation for NHS frontline workers whilst trying to navigate their own businesses and people through the pandemic. Look, there are a lot of people who do really good things, a lot of businesses, you and all the businesses you manage that do good things. I think we do 
yeah, it's competitive. It's a competitive market in Manchester where people do look after obviously themselves and want to do the best for their own businesses. But I also think that they realise that they won't survive in the city unless they show an approach that looks after their own. I think that ultimately if you come into Manchester to set up a business, whether you're a local or whether you're from out of the city or internationally, you have to you have to show yourself to have immersed yourself in the local culture, what the city means to people. It's very difficult to get in, actually, if you don't demonstrate those qualities. That, for me, is just basically, in a nutshell, how the place ticks, really. Wants people to do both of those things, doesn't it? You know, people it wants people to get on and be ambitious and make their way, but at the same time, recognise where you came from, your wider responsibilities. And that, for me, is what this is all about. Here we have a culture of creating new things that will add lasting value to the city. Many of my guests attribute that to Manchester City Council and their willingness for the city to do things differently. Creator of the Warehouse Project and nighttime economy advisor, Sasha Lord, explains how he was able to create his vision in the city. They've never said no. And I think it's because this is what this city does really well. They look back at the years when, I referenced before, everybody was looking at what we were doing and they saw how much tourism was coming to this city and how much it was benefiting the economy, especially the nighttime economy. Um, so they get it, you know, with Warehouse Project, we sold 242,000 tickets between September, end of September and January the 1st last season. And it brought millions into the city. Mm-hmm. So, you know, nighttime economy is really important and they've supported it from day one. And in 2003, my business partner at the time and I put on a party in a disused warehouse where they actually filmed 24-hour party people. Um, and it was great. We had 12,000 people and we drove the, the sound system in on the back of trucks and everything was just really, really temporary. And I don't think anyone thought we'd actually get the licence. It was the first licence that was granted since Thatcher shut down all the illegal raves. They put up so many barriers that I think the authorities thought, they're not going to do this. You know, They insisted we build a staircase, ridiculous staircase, that 5,000 people could get down. But we actually, we did it. And I think it was probably the week before they just thought, oh, shit, this thing's going to happen. Um, so, yeah, it happened. And I think that probably, in fact, Sam and I spoke about it last week, that probably was the inception of the warehouse project that started off in 2006 at Bonington Brewery. I think being value-driven is really, really important. How you phrase your values has got to suit you, your organisation and, uh, and and so on. So I, I only feel comfortable about commenting on the City Council's uh, mm-hmm. uh, own, own values. And the most important of those and the one that underpins everything else is pride in the city. I don't see how you can work for Manchester if you don't have pride. In the past, I'm going back a while now, but I've addressed meetings of staff and I've asked the question of people working for the council, put your hand up if you feel proud of Manchester. And I'm delighted to say the vast majority of people put their their hands up. I've said to the rest is, if you haven't got pride in the city, you shouldn't be working for us. That was leader of Manchester Council, Richard Lees, explaining what makes this such an incredible place for people and ideas to thrive. Manchester Evening News business editor Shalina Bagum and Sir Richard Lease highlight some of the trees that still need to be planted. We still don't see enough brown faces and black faces on mainstream media. I think, take spinning fields for example, when you're walking around spinning fields, you don't see much diversity in spinning fields, yet my side is only a mile down the road. I've always spoken in schools. I go to primary schools and speak to young Asian girls because I think that's where the learning needs to start, not in high school, but when they're seven, eight years in um, primary school, speaking to them about opening up 
their horizons and looking at going to university and looking at different careers, but not just speaking to young girls, but also speaking to their mums. Quite often, little girls ask me, Miss, Miss, are you rich? Because I think I must have got to where I am because I've had a wealthy family backing me. And that's not the case. When I tell them my story, they're like, oh, and it's not something that they would have thought. And not just saying that they should consider journalism as a career. For me, it's about them opening up their minds to consider a wide range of careers that, you know, they can be who they want to be. And all it takes is hard work, grit, determination. And um, when I speak to these mums, they're mums as well. Sometimes the mums can't even, you know, they've not even thought about the daughters going to university. Well, why not? You know, what are you scared about? And it's nice for somebody, nice for them to speak to me and see that, oh, yeah, you know, my, my daughter can do that. One of the discussions we've been having quite a lot of of late and connected to two things. One is the public health England analysis of uh, the inequality impacts, the disparity impacts of COVID. The other is uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. What it brings home to you uh, very starkly is what whatever progress that we think we... And we have made a lot of progress as a city, that we still live in a very unequal place. And whilst we continue to live in a very unequal place, there will always be a lot of trees to be planted. So what's the outcome of planting trees that we'll never see? Jed King, Stacey Copeland and Carl Austin Bean talk about the results of their hard work to improve opportunities for generations to come. And I'm teaching our guys all the stuff that I've learned over the years. I've done it the hard way because I've done it, I've done it myself and I've been to seminar after seminar and I've read book after book all personal development, and, I, and I've de- developed those skills the hard way. But it doesn't have to be that way for the guys that are in the shop because I've done the hard work now, and I can pass that on. They don't have to read all these books that I've read. They don't have to go to these seminars that cost a lot of money to attend. I can give them that, give them that knowledge. And that kind of knowledge is key to the guy's success. You create new neurological pathways in the brain. You create self-belief. And when people have got those skills, it's amazing what they can do. You had to have your photograph taken, the winning photograph taken, with a photograph of, a, of the belt, didn't you? Because there wasn't one available for a woman. That's right. Yeah, that, that photograph was, was mine, actually, because um, in the whole build-up to the fight, I'd had a photograph of the belt in my car, in my bedroom, at work, everywhere, to keep me focused through my training. Um, so I had it with me, and uh, we had the picture with it afterwards to make the point, really, that there hadn't <laughs> been a belt, because obviously it was a massive high, winning but then to not get a belt was hugely disappointing I mean it's the whole point of doing it is to to get that belt and I think when you know when I got back on the on the Monday from Zimbabwe I fought on the Friday night when I got back on the Monday I rang the head of the Commonwealth Boxing Council and explained you know it'd been a great experience etc but not getting a belt was you know deeply disappointing and he explained that the manufacturers of the replica belt had ceased production so I said what's that got to do with me to which he said well, we do replica belts for women and real belts for men. So quite matter of fact, so I said, oh, why is that? So there was more money in men's boxing. I'd thought that the worst moment would have been that straight after the fight, not having that moment, me and my coach with that belt to celebrate. We're never, ever going to have pictures with that belt straight after in the ring like everybody else has. And I thought that would be the worst bit, but that, in fact, it wasn't. It was that everybody was so excited to see this belt back home and all mm. on social media and in my messages they've been saying you know it's coming home it's coming home I can't mm. wait to see the belt I just didn't have the heart to tell them there wasn't one I didn't want this to happen to a future female champion so they agreed to make a 
Commonwealth title belt for women. And we got the first one in December 2018 and now it's it's there. And that's that's part of what paving the way is really to make things better for the next generation. There was just one time I was went over to one of the youth groups over in Wigan. I'd just gone over to, to see the group, have a conversation and see what problems they've got or what issues, anything we could do to help. And there was a, a young trans lad there came up quite upset. He'd explained that some of the issues that he'd been having at school I think for that, something like the last three years, he'd been trying to get the school to let him just wear trousers and a shirt rather than a blouse and a pinafore. Uh, but the school were adamant that, no, that's their school policy. I know from myself, from going to school, the fact that, you know, when you're studying for GCSEs and you're studying, you know, you're just, just trying to get by on a day-to-day basis. If you're, if you're a little bit of, a, of an outcast or you're a little bit different, it's very hard for you to not be able to wear what you wanted to wear in school that, that was still uniform but just against some, someone's idea of what it should be, I thought it was quite ludicrous. I went away from that and I think I, I came home and I, and I literally just sort of put something on social media to sort of explain what had happened, didn't name anybody, didn't name the, the area, but I did put on it that I will be asking questions in the morning and I will be wanting answers of why this is so barbaric. Within the next morning, I'd already had a phone call from the Manchester News. They wanted to run a story on it. I then ended up speaking with... The, the borough council that it was to do with. Uh, they then went and had a conversation with the school and with their education system. By lunchtime, the school policy had changed. The uniform policy had changed. And this had taken this, this lad three years to try and get there. The parents had tried to intervene. That wouldn't happen. But just because it was being highlighted, sort of using the, the networks that I've got just by on social media made a massive difference. And and thankfully, that, that that will have a massive impact, not just on that one person's life, but people's lives across Greater Manchester. As the CEO of one of Manchester's biggest property developers, Bruntwood, I wanted to ask Chris Oglesby about how business in Manchester can look to investing in the city's future. The legacy that I would like to leave is that we have continued to develop that culture of collaboration. We continue to engage more and more of the city in it. And there are times when it does become a little bit too much of an exclusive club that is working on the challenges. The thing that I would particularly like to leave as a legacy is an infrastructure where businesses collaborating to solve the challenges of the city. So we've been right at the heart of the development of the mayor's good business charter. Basically, that is about how businesses should operate, thinking about sustainability, DNI, colleague engagement, etc. Really building that culture of collaboration to a point where you have public and private sector working together to, as Bruntwood says, to, to create thriving cities. As Andy Burnham and Gary Neville mentioned, the people of Manchester want to see each other succeed, but we also expect to see each other give back to the city. We're a place that thrives on a culture of planting trees. The world's changing. The world's changing. It's not about what you can get. It's always been about what you can get, but life is about what you can give. And we're somewhere that says thank you for leaving us in a better place. As broadcaster and High Sheriff of Manchester, Eamon O'Neill tells us. If you are in a leadership position, if you, if you thank people for what they've done, for me, that's the least you can do. And if you can smile at them whilst you're saying thank you, or even smile at them another time, that makes all the difference. So smile a lot and say thank you a lot. It actually just boils down to that for me. I know it's a bit more nuanced than that, but every single individual in every organisation is as important as the next, whatever your title and however fancy your office.
All of my guests have built this city by individually and collectively creating a legacy out of their love for Greater Manchester, by honouring who came before them and by planting trees they'll never see. Mancunians have a reputation for putting in more than they take out and most don't ask for recognition. As John Thompson said in an earlier episode, it's important to do a good turn every day, but keep that good turn between you and the person you've done it for. To celebrate 24 years, we are looking for 24 unsung heroes who are also quietly planting trees of their own. If you know of anybody who deserves recognition for putting more in than they take out, please get in touch on our social media platforms and let us know. We'll plant and name a tree after them as a thank you. We've been overwhelmed by the response to We Built the City. We had no idea that this would be launched as we went into lockdown. But ironically, we feel that the stories of grit, determination and community have been more relevant than ever. I'd like to thank my guests on this series. They're all extremely busy people with huge responsibilities and they've all made time to share the stories. I'd like to thank the brilliant team at Roland Ransfield for the editing, photography, show notes and social media. And thank you too for listening and sharing. It'd be fantastic if you could leave us a five-star review on your podcast platform. As of today, we've had almost 10,000 listens and we're proud that we've been downloaded right across the world in places like Sydney, Koh Samui, Bali, Philadelphia and Delhi. There's clearly a lot of Manx far and wide or there are a lot of people across the world who wish they were Manx. Series two of We Built This City is out in early October and I'm excited to share the stories and values of more Mancunians born, bred and adopted, who've put the heart into modern Manchester. This is a podcast from Roland Dransfield PR. Our mission is to build purposeful relationships in all we do. If you want your company to be part of that, give us a call on the number we've always had. 0161 236 1122.